0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at this slash elite This week's podcast is brought to you by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack.
1: On the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jen.
0: All right, joining us now on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is one of, if not the most accomplished sportsman drag racer of all time. If you need some credentials to back that up, currently, Edmund Richardson, five NHRA World Championships, three in Super Comp, two in Stock Eliminator, plus two NHRA Summit ET Championships, one in Super Pro, one in Sportsman. Uh, I've just got to list off the credentials because it's the most impressive bio I think I've ever read. In addition to that, we've got 18 NHRA Division Championships, 48 National Event wins in four different classes, 49 NHRA Lucas Oil Division Series wins in five different classes. Big E. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Thanks for coming on with us. It's an honor. So there's so many directions that I want to go with this conversation, but let's start at the beginning. Take me back in time, like your earliest racing memory and we'll talk about getting introduced to the sport.
1: Oh, well, obviously it comes with my father. He was, a, he was a very accomplished bracket racer. Obviously he came out of Texas Raceway, so you know he was above average by all means. I just remember going out there and, you know, kinda of hanging out with the people and when it got opportunity I was eleven when I started. So, you know, it was just it was different. It was it was fun. You didn't get in no trouble. You got to you know, obviously be with your dad. Everybody wants to grow up with their dad. And um we just raced and it led from one thing to the other and me being a nothing but a high school graduate it looked like an easy way to make a living to meet back then. Now, today, I highly recommend college and get you a trade and do good.
0: When you say that uh, your experience behind the wheel started at 11, obviously that's well before junior dragsters. What, what did that look like in that day?
1: Yeah, back then we didn't have all the rules and safety, and you know you didn't have to have a driver's license. You just, your parents sign off. But I actually started on two wheels. We, we bracket raced. They still do it today, but we bracket race motorcycles and cars and stuff together, and you know, starting the lower classes obviously street and sportsman is today, and you know, bottom bulb stuff. Then, um, and, as we got a little older, we 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 ran the bigger cars. But I actually started driving a real race car when I was 13.
0: And what was that?
1: I had a 68 gtx that was a street legal and run low eights and an eighth of a mile
0: how long did it take for you to start experiencing success at that age
1: well yeah well actually the first time i took my car and ran pro et which is uh i call that well, i guess pro et et2 no no box bottom boom. i'd uh i'd bought this whole car out of a uh, Backyard where a fella had a problem in the service and didn't make it home, and his grandma had it, wanted it gone. Long story short, we bought the car. But with the first time I actually raced it, I was 13, and I got to four cars in the, uh, at Texas Raceway, and my left front uh, bearing in the wheel locked up. And I couldn't go up for the semis. <laughs> <laughs> obviously i was sad at 13 years old right sure but the next week after we fixed it i actually I actually won the second time i raced it then i basically that,
0: undefeated through two weeks
1: yeah i was actually wheelchair. i thought this was really gonna be easy man i got paid money <laughs> but then i will say i ended up finishing ninth in pro my first year and I won a time or two after that during the year but they basically whipped my tail for a year. You know, what I mean then the, I got my old uh, I guess I got my wes- my whistle wet and then uh I was ready when I come out when I was 14.
0: And, I mean, it sounds crazy to to have immediate success starting that young, but I would assume that to some extent that was almost expected. I mean, at that time, I guess that's a little bit before my time, but your father ruled the roost around that area. I mean, it was him, it was old man Heffler, it was old man Paul for the most part, right?
1: Yeah, they they, they were phenomenal. But Jeremy and Jeff Heffler, their, their daddy, he was awesome. Old, old man Paul, we call him the Duffer, his name's Charles Paul. He just one of them guys. Those Heffler, my dad, and Charles Paul, those three were probably, probably back in that time, and they were probably top ten in the world. They were phenomenal. Just nobody knew them. They ran around there. We went to a few bracket races and met the, you know, Johnny Laboose. First one we went to uh, that in nineteen seventy-seven, I think it was, or seventy-five, right in there. Johnny Labouche beat my dad in the final at uh, Union Grove, Wisconsin, for a five thousand dollar race, where we'd never staged a car that paid over seven hundred fifty dollars in the final. So we was phenomenal. We was tore up that he won twenty five hundred. Johnny did beat him, but you know, I mean, we left like we won the you know the million. <laughs> we'd never seen that much money. I was born into, you know, he did well so. You really didn't have no choice. You either one, or you let somebody else drive the car. You know what I mean? So it's different. It's not like today. Today is, whew, it's rough. There's a lot of them go double low and run their dial.
0: Yeah, no doubt. What did it look like for you coming up as a racer? Obviously, you were no stranger to, to traveling with your dad, but do you remember maybe your first big trip out of town as a driver or your first big win away from, you know, Kennedale or the DFW area?
1: I never was really interested in running the pro tree stuff, but I used to go out to uh, Sheldon Gecker was probably the guy that influenced me the most and don't even know it. He used to come test in February at Green Valley Race City. And I always went out to I race Wednesday and Sunday at Green Valley. So I was out there all the time, but I happened to be out there a few times when he's testing and I'd go over and ask him, I don't understand what you're doing. Why are you I mean if you're not racing for the why are you here? You know, if you ain't can't win no money, what, what are you doing? He said, Well I run super gas. I didn't know what that was. You know, of course I you know, ask questions. He'd he'd tell you he'd be able to tell a lot better than me because I was a young fella, obviously. And he's like, I'm a super gas world champion. I'm I'm doing this. i never forget because he had King Kong all over the side of his car. I got to read National Direction and realized who he was. He won pretty much everything back then. He was one of the pioneers that deserves a lot of credit for making sportsman racing where it is today. Because mm-hmm. guys like that that travel around and, you know, it give a path for uh, – you guys, for uh, Dan Fletcher, for you know me, Rampy, all them, guys, them, them particular individuals, they are the one that led the way. No question about it. No matter what people hear or whatever, them, them guys were the real deal. We had a guy, I think he was eighty-one. He won the world championship. Super Gas was uh, uh, Johnny Claridge. <laughs> and nobody even, you know, works for Rare Morrison, and obviously builds motors, and people buy them all the time. But back in the day, he raced with us, and at the racetrack, he was just one of the guys. He wasn't that guy that stood out and won all the time. But he's a hell of a racer. And then all of a sudden, he goes out and wins this, gets all this notoriety for being world champ and all them things, and you know, kind of caught your eye, and you know rest is history 84 i went to my first point race
0: and let say see 84 what were you 18 somewhere in that range
1: uh, i was actually 20 i graduated 20. in 1982 mm-hmm. so i was 20 years old when a, a buddy of mine they they all talk about heading close trail and he welded the hitch on the back put my open trailer and my old gremlin on the back and i went to baton rouge louisiana to run super street so it was i didn't even have a throttle stop but i had a three-speed torch Torque flight, so I used that as a stop because I just skipped second gear, go straight <laughs> to high and get kind of close to ten ninety.
0: <laughs> I actually run ten seventies, but that's how I did it. Right, right. It was probably close enough at that time, no? It, yeah, it was. Well, I was foot
1: braking. Only guy I knew back then in ten ninety on the four tenths pro tree that had a trans break that I personally knew was a uh, Turner Robert Turner. He he worked with. Uh, over at the front end alignment place in Fort Worth, Texas, was kind of fun, big buddies with Johnny Clarence. He's the only guy who knew how to trans break, I didn't, which I really didn't know what that was, but he had one.
0: And that you're talking 84, I'm looking through here. Uh, that's what That that season ended up in a championship, correct? Yeah. That,
1: <laughs> it, it, actually, it actually won my first race, but foot breaking, four tenths pro tree.
0: That race of Baton Rouge you were talking about. You held the trophy. Yeah.
1: The, the, the <laughs> funny part about the whole thing when I tell people this is that in 84, the best reaction time I had the whole season was a 467. <laughs> I lost that particular run. That's the best lot I had the whole year. I probably was a 4 high 480, low 490 average. Right. Right. And didn't have a throw, didn't have nothing. And, uh, um, went to five points races because I didn't want to leave my bracket racing to go do this one race. I just, I didn't understand all that, but I did it, got lucky somehow or another and won the deal and, you know, got a
0: direction rest history. In in that day and age, what did your bracket racing look like? That was that just multiple days a week close to home or.
1: Yeah, we, I traveled, it was always within about 200 miles. But I actually raced Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday every weekend. And when I would go them division races, I would leave with his truck and my flatbed and make a bracket race at least on Friday night, if not Friday and Saturday night before we race Sunday.
0: Mm-hmm. And then eighty-five was your first year in a dragster. Sure.
1: Yeah, the first time I had it. It's funny about the boxes. I tell them. I, I didn't get one till late '80s, but. When when I was when I got the show I was telling. Them, I said, "Well, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have to with the holding this button, and letting go. I said I'll have to see the yellow a little bit and let go to turn it green, because I'm gonna red light them little bitty old tires. You know, what I mean stuff. So a lot of a lot people of that tree. know me that I grew up with, kind of yeah, they kind of laughed at me. They thought I was pretty much silly. <laughs> but you know, back in the day, you know, you did what you could and you. I think you really tried harder, but today we kind of catch ourselves getting lazy because we've got such nice equipment, and, and, you know, man, they're making something every day. It makes you better, so sure, just keep sure. working on it.
0: I'm curious, too, on this on this weekly bracket tour, you said Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What was the schedule of that? Like, what facilities, just because I'm familiar with the area?
1: We would actually go to Green Valley on Wednesday night because they had a gambler's race. Mm-hmm. And then I'd race in Paris, Texas on Friday night. My normal weekly program,
0: mm-hmm. I'd race
1: on Paris, Texas on Friday night. I'd come to Kennedale if there wasn't a big race. Nobody wanted to race at Kennedale because a man didn't win very very many times <laughs> up there. It was pretty rough. So we'd race on Kennedale on Saturday, and then I'd go to Temple on Sunday. That was my normal routine. But then you'd throw in you know, I-20 Dragway, Wichita Falls, Hallsville, there's a bunch of tracks no longer there. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they had a little track out there close to, it was past red line. I can't remember the name of it on the, on the, um, South side of the interstate, but it was before you would exit to go to Paris, Texas.
0: Oh, really? Okay. What,
1: I can't remember what, it wasn't Sulphur Springs, but it was before the exit. I take to Paris. So it was, you know, it was pretty much North central Texas. There were so many racetracks. San Angelo, you know, you go down there and run with the Grays. You go down, you know, I mean, back in the day, and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's kind of fun. You, you race with a bunch of really killer racers that you read about. Torrance, I race with Billy Torrance all the time. Sure, and I guess his record kind of speaks for itself. I will throw one thing in on on the Torrances' phenomenal family very proud to know them, that they're the top field world championship, but there was at one time in life, I could outrun him heads up. (laughs) Can't do it today. (laughs) Yeah. Can't do it today. That's for sure.
0: You talked a little bit about that, crowd specific to texas raceway in kennedale i think but just in in the dfw area in general and and i i guess our longtime listeners are familiar with this because i've said it a lot but just as a reminder like who are some of the now you know very familiar nationwide names that you would do battle with on a weekly basis
1: oh lord I, i can tell you one the first one that comes off to my mind that's probably the best racer in the history of the sport sportsman that hasn't won a world championship is Tommy Phillips, and if people don't know who Tommy Phillips is, they don't sportsman race. That dude's phenomenal. He come out of that area. You you got Frank Kehotek world champion. You got Buddy Woods that won super. You got the Hefflers, the Pauls. You got Luke Bogacki. You got all kinds of people that come out of that area. That's it's I mean it's crazy. You got Cross and Corzine. Bubba, that, people don't know them like in Comp Eliminator. Hutch, Larry, Hutt, uh, Robert Hutchinson.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, He's a world all champion. All
1: them guys were phenomenal racers. We, Raren Morrison, obviously. I remember as a kid going out and watching the Texas Raceway when they'd have the heads-up modified cars, and it was Mike Edwards, Lee Shepard. All them guys come out of that area. And it's, you know, I, I know there's other areas that, that's got great racers, no question about sure. it, but we was a lot of pride in our old deal. It seemed like you'd go out to old Texas Raceway and if you could shine one night, you could dang sure travel and shine. Yeah. The more boys were tough.
0: No doubt. Okay, so... There's so many directions I want to go here. You're having success, obviously, at the bracket level. You chase the NHRA too, or have success in the first year, win your first race, win the championship your first year. At what point did that kind of light switch go off, as you mentioned earlier, and you said, "I think I could make a living doing this"?
1: You know, we wasn't wealthy growing up or whatever. You know, we just we got by, we paid our bills, and you know, Mama drove a nice car right? That's about it. You know, we, we struggle We we've kind of built our own race car stuff. I just remember when I was young, I thought, you know, I don't want that old $100 car, and I want something a little nicer, you know? So obviously work hard and stuff. I actually, when I was in high school, I bought my first car myself with my winnings. I never had a job, so obviously I didn't have no for sure income. But I remember when I went, my, my mom said, son, you know what if you don't win, who's gonna pay for that car? <laughs> I said, Mama, as long as they run four days a week, I'm winning something.
0: <laughs>
1: but now today, I wouldn't say that. Sure, I sure. highly recommend getting education, get a job. <laughs> you know, but back then, you know, we was the the deal is not to say you're any better than anybody else because you're not. We're all human, and everybody we do different things. Stuff. The problem is we we were probably a little smarter we knew a little bit more about racing before everybody else knew it sure mm-hmm. now they all know it you know what i mean i don't i wouldn't get up here and say i'm not lee shepherd lee shepherd was awesome i'm just old bracket racer you know what I mean that understood numbers before people took it serious so we took advantage of it that's that's the bottom line you know nowadays there's so many people who know it you got you got so many young fellas. If we just had that youth with the cars and the equipment we have now. I'd like to, I think it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it ain't it ain't near as easy. I mean, it's hard enough to get up in the morning. Much <laughs> less drive a race car. <laughs> you, know, what, you know what I'm uh, saying? It, it's, things changed. What That's is why that? I guess I enjoy watching my kids race.
0: I want to get to that, too. What is the age difference between you and Scotty? seven years
1: and now okay. to go back to how i figured i could make a living racing i thought you know he's a little more he's a little more i always call him slower than me not near as um what do you call it common sense as far as driving a race car there's three or four of them i think's the best ever he's one of them i don't put my name in that that hat by no means but i remember when he he really liked the world you know, the worldly things. He never really cared about But if you could get him in a race car and hold him down for just a few minutes, he sure will make you a lot of money quick, and he still can. He's a bad dude. So he went to work for me, and I mean, I took car. That's what I respect a bunch of the guys, including yourself, today is if I just had enough sense to know how to do the marketing part of it, we could have really done something. You know, today you got so many of them. They kind of spread it thin to everybody. But back then, we could we could have ruled that deal if I'd have been a little bit smarter. We'd have done a lot better.
0: Really, I mean, see great,
1: now... and I'm I'm flattered, you know, to have been a part of that. But we could if I'd just had a little education, I tell you, we could have done really good.
0: That's funny because I look at you as a as a pioneer that kind of set the stage for any of us to be able to, to, you know, make a, a living out here specifically in regards to sponsorship and sportsman racing. Like you guys were the first that I saw to have, you know, whether it was your Lone Star or Slick 50 or Quaker State, you know I mean? That stuff was unheard of in the sportsman ranks until you did it. Like I, I give you a lot of credit in that area. I don't think you're giving yourself enough. Well, I guess I, under, I understand that part of it. I just didn't have enough smarts, you know,
1: book smart. To know what to do with it. Yeah, I knew, you know, I mean, obviously we did very, very, um, you know, good Lord's blessed me, no question about it. But uh, the thought is, I watch you guys, because, see, you're in a little bit tougher time. You, you, for an example, you, you do awesome. There's no question about it. And you, in a time that you really can't do that awesome, you know what I mean? There's so many people yeah. can lay down a number. You almost kind of got to get in line proper. I Set mean, there's out. a... There's a run or two each round that's not as tough as the other fourteen pairs or whatever, but you you got to get in line. The marketing part of it, I never really grasped. I had help to do me. I, I you know I had a guy we call it his name Steve Pounds and you know bless has already passed away, but Porky is what we called him. That yep. guy was phenomenal with that. If I'd have just went on with it. I believe he could have took us even to the next level. You know what I mean? The the sponsor deal it's it's like a, a, a you know Fletcher today. He's doing a great job. He's got the sponsor and stuff. I can remember when me and him talked about how in the world can we get a sponsor. Me and him's had some good. That guy's you know he's going to go down to history probably is the winningest national event sportsman racer ever. You know what I mean? I doubt anybody ever t- top that because, first of all, you got to spend so much time to do it. That, that guy's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That, that's just the bottom line. And I can remember the day when we was traveling around, how we were going to figure out how we was going to get that done. I think he had a better education because I think he actually had a good job at one time.
0: Yeah, he was you with mean, Xerox I'm, before he went racing for a living.
1: You know what I mean? So he's and he's done well for himself. He's done a great job. Now he's got boys and your priorities change. Or he's got racers. (laughs) You don't have to be a boy to be a racer, but the you know, your priorities change.
0: Circling back you talked about Scotty and his just incredible talent. Like how early on did you realize like he's got something really special? Like, was that evident, you know, in his mid teens oh, or did it take man. a little while or
1: yeah, I think he started a year later than I did. He was 12 and he's that guy that don't get shook up. Funny part to tell about how he started. He was winning all the time, but he run the two lower classes. We had back then it was super pro pro and street. I guess you'd call it today. He ran the two lower classes. they would never ran super pro. And, um, he got to where he's winning all the time, Win the track championship, in a station wagon. He mm-hmm. was 12. And he was little when he was young, so we had to make him a uh, an old throw chair you put in the living room where you sit on the floor and lean back in a little chair. Well, we saw yeah. the bottom in it. and got him high enough he could see over the steering wheel. <laughs> right? so, I mean, he he wasn't real big up till he was about probably 15, 16 years old. He couldn't see over the steering wheel. He had won, and I, I remember he, he didn't know how he was going to do this or get to the next, and he made a deal w- with me and my father that he said, looky here, it was a big race at Texas Raceway, which hard to win, pro eliminator. He was dialed in the tens in the eighth of a mile, and he said, uh, y'all can keep the money tonight. It's a big race, he said, but when I win, I want this car to be mine. I can do with it what I want to do. You know, it's a big joke back then. We said, oh, "Now you're talking about pro, not street, right? Pro. All right, whatever. That's a good, okay, deal." Oh, by God, he won. Needless to say, that night we had signed the title over. He had old station wagon. He owned the next day, and you, just, just to put it, I tell you how confident I am in him. He's left today, or he he's got to Vegas yesterday. I guess he left on Friday. I let him take my new trailer, my 14 American Dragster, and my middle son's blue truck, and he is in Vegas to race the whole deal with our stuff. My kids are going to fly out, I think, double or so. I, they got all kinds of big plans, but Scotty is actually in Vegas, and I feel confident that I have a chance to have a good weekend whether I go or not.
0: Yeah, I like your odds. What, you don't know, uh... say out
1: of that... And I know there's going to be 500 of the meanest suckers in the world, but he can definitely hold his own.
0: Yeah, he can do more than that. You're right. I remember, I assume that you remember, it's probably been 10 years ago, we did a Legends column on DraggersResults.com. I wrote a handful of those, and you were the feature of one of them. So we've had... Conversations like this in the past. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know how to bring this up because I don't remember if it's in the column, Mark. Maybe uh, producer Mark can can find that, track that down, and share a link for our listeners. But you told me a story about you and Scotty going. I think it was to Tri-State in Cincinnati with a rig that probably wasn't legal in any of the fifty states, and about <laughs> getting pulled over on your way back into Kentucky. Am I halfway right hey. there? And could you share no, that? You're with right, us? You're right.
1: <laughs> We we actually went to Columbus. It was the okay. TRW, or whatever it was, Sportsman All Stars, I think back then. Now they do it in Chicago, but it was in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And Scotty, he couldn't run the NHRA races. You know, he was he was actually fourteen, but we was going to bracket race a little bit and carry on. I had a, a Chaparral, which was one of the top of the line trailers back then. I had a gooseneck chaparral short, like 28 foot, I think it was. And we weld the hitch on the back of it, and I was carrying a flatbed with another car on the back. So we're riding down the interstate, you know, this is a pretty Texas much stack. illegally, but two trailers and cars everywhere, parts, junk, you know, have what we had. We just the, Our biggest challenge back then was getting to the track. So we're, we're rolling, we're rolling. We, we'd had a good weekend everything. We're coming home. We had to come where I live today. I lived in Texas at that point. But I was coming where the Kentucky-Tennessee line crosses. And I was so tired, Scotty was driving. I know he's 14, that's probably illegal, but he was driving. I was in the sleeper sleeping, and I remember he hollers at me. In the middle of the night. We was at like a mile marker right before you cross in Tennessee, so we was around mile marker 5. Scotty Holly, get up, get up. He says, I'm, I'm getting pulled over. So when I wake up, back then, there's a bunch of trees, stuff around the interstate, and I could see the lights and the trees. Oh, my gosh, you know, what have you done? But he's driving. So that was good. We hadn't wrecked or nothing. So I'm getting up, you know, and he's panicking and going on. I said, well, son, don't don't worry about it. It's all good. Just pull over. He's going to pull behind us. When you pull over, you jump back here in the back, and I'll get up in the front seat. It'll be all right. All right. So he pulls over, you know, and he's a little nervous, 14. He's nervous. He does his thing. He jumps in the back, and I get up in the front. You know, I'm trying to wake up and everything. (laughs) Officer comes up here with that line. Never forget this. This is probably the most funniest thing that's ever happened to me ever. He's got that old flashlight. He shines it in your light, you know, right in your eyes. And he says, what are you doing? I'm looking. I was like, well, I, I guess I'm driving. I didn't know what to say. He said, you wasn't driving this vehicle. And he looks back and he sees Scotty laying in that sleep. He said, that's who was driving this. What what are y'all doing? I said, sir, he can't be driving. He ain't 14 years old. (laughs) That runs his whole deal at that point because he knew he was driving. But when I hit him with the 14, he's like, well, okay, where's your license? Though Then we go to, man, it ended up being bad, but it could have been way worse. Because he, he just told me when I all left, he said, Don't ever bring this rig in my state ever again. <laughs> so we laughed and went on about our business. It wasn't and that, cool.
0: That rig that you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, that evolved at some point into a ramp truck with the car on it, with the enclosed yeah, trailer yeah. behind it, with the dragster or two, with an open trailer behind it, correct?
1: Yeah, it, it we, we got to where we had figured out we could take four cars. You can stack two drags or side-by-side side pull a header off of one. We had a car on the ramp truck and then, of course, a flatbed behind it. Now we was carrying four cars back when most people carried one. We had four. It was pretty cool. No doubt. But needless to say, that, that rig's probably highly illegal. <laughs> it seemed like it was good at the time, but it was. They nobody really liked it. They didn't really know what to do about it, but they just said, you know, don't bring it on the road again.
0: What happened when you had to back up? It was tough. If you <laughs> pulled in a hotel
1: at night. we stayed in hotels and you went around the back and you was driving around and it was late and you know it's packed and there's a dead end you had to back out. Most of the times we tried to bed down about right there. So we need a little <laughs> bit of room to back her up. It's a little tough. <laughs> you know, now we're sport rotten you got our little trailer carried two cars. You know what I mean? It's pretty funny how that works. We just finished one today for the middle sun. Worked three days on putting the lift and all these guys' little motorhome stuff. It's kind of funny going back. I, I tell them all the time how spoiled they are because I said, this
0: wasn't back then, I promise you. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. So, yeah, let's fast forward to this day and age. You've got three boys that are all excellent racers in their own right, watching them grow up, watching them compete. You guys are in business together. I would say, I don't know, I'll let you say for the last number of years, like it seems like your main focus isn't so much on competition as it was years ago. It's more on business and family. When did that change? And was that like a conscious decision or is that something that just kind of happened? You know,
1: it's just, it's always been about me. And I can tell you, as you, as you know, as when you start having kids, things change. And we got to playing baseball and sports and, you know, so I've took a, uh, I don't know how long it's been, but a while. We, we've played all the different baseballs and junior raced a little bit. I never really got onto that. And that's the greatest thing in life if you're not a professional drag racer while you're trying to junior race. (laughs) If you're family oriented, it's the greatest thing. It's so cool to hang out with your kids and do things. But my job made it rough on me. So they didn't junior race as serious and as much as probably should have. But the rest that we've done and they've, you know, they've grown up and they've learned to work on them and they can build them and they make parts for racing and you know they really enjoy it, so for me it's kind of fun. But I did tell them 2019 I'm gonna get my feet back wet. I'm gonna race two good years, and it'd probably be with the youngest one, Austin, my youngest child. He he wants to do this. The kid, the other two like to kill the big bracket races and foot brake race. So it's um, you know it's a little different. They've all kind of experienced it all a little bit, and they've all tasted a little bit of good and all that. But the little one. The younger one really wants to run NHRA, and I'm going to do that in 20 and 21. So, you know, I guess he'll be the main one with me on the road on them stuff. Rest up, we'll all bracket race together.
0: I don't know, Edmund, if this is something that you've consciously thought of, but just as I look back on your resume, NHRA World Championships, first one was in 89, so that's the 80s. You got one in the 90s, 92. Got a couple in the 2000s, 2000 and 2009 in Stock Eliminator. Got one in 2014. So if this all just broke your way, what would it mean to you to win you know, a, a world championship in 2020 or 2021 and be a world champion in five different decades? Oh,
1: it, first <laughs> thing it means I'm old. <laughs> Something's definitely changed, I promise you that. But no, that... You know, as a racer, I ain't never been that guy that always worried about me, 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 me. You know, obviously we've had some success and less love it with national drag show. Missed the guy dearly. He he kind of helped us. You know, he put us on the deal and things like that come up. You know, things you can do because you know I'm not going to ever win as many national events as Dan Fletcher or David Rampey. One of them is going to be the most winning winningest ever. You know I me mean? because I don't think nobody could do that today.
0: Maybe yeah, you like, or Peter Bianco. No, Fletcher, or But Fletcher said but the same Fletcher, thing. He was on with us like that'll never, and then and did it in a humble way. Sure. But just just facts are sure. facts. No one's it, ever going to
1: won't accumulate. happen. Right. I mean, I feel like you know, if I, I'm not a gambler, we gamble with entry fees, but I'm not a gambler. If I was a bet man, I'd say Fletcher ends up being the most win ever in the history of life sportsman national event winner and that is something to say because there's a lot of great drivers The do phenomenal and i i was in high school when me and him met and they had the first five-day bracket race at west palm beach and this is a funny story i've never forgot this when we were standing on the the deal after the five days neither one of us won a race we went deep every day and he finished second in the points and i finished third i was a senior in high school i can tell you i've never forgot that guy and he he's as good then as far as i'm concerned, he's better today than he was then he he was very very good racer and if anything at however old he is i'd say he's in his 50s he's better today i can't say the same thing i I feel like i'm competitive but i don't feel like i'm the same guy i was when i was in my 20s or my teens You, you know what i'm saying and He's pretty phenomenal. He, he's he's defying the odds, and, you know, I'm an old guy. Don't do all that bragging stuff, so I probably would never say it to him. But I, I think <laughs> he's one of the greatest of all time.
0: No, to your point, I think we look back, you know, what, 50 years from now, his legacy in sports and drag racing will be like looking back on John Wooden winning 10 national championships. You know what I mean? We just go, how did anybody do that? I agree. I don't think that that will ever be matched, uh, unless no. it's by David Rampey, you know, one of those two. Well, let's circle back a little bit. You talked about hitting the road a little bit with Austin. I don't know if you would recall this conversation, but it was around that same time that we did that Legends column for com not long before that austin had run his first ever junior dragster race and up until that point i, I remember you telling me that he didn't have much interest in it you know i mean he just kind of come to you one day and decided he wanted to race i don't know if that story is fresh on your mind but i think of that every time that i see him have success if you want to walk us back through his maiden voyage
1: he he never really had nothing to do with the you know he liked hanging out with his buddies he loved playing baseball since he was four years old and he just never had, but he, he's a little different than the rest of me. He, when he puts his mind to something, it seems like he does well at it, whatever it is, whether it's a, a project in school or, or you know, hitting a baseball or catching a baseball. He he just was different. My middle one, Blake always wanted to race, period. He's going to be a racer and work in the racing industry. Brian, the oldest one, he didn't know. I don't think he still knows, but he, he – Love racing, but he loved the other parts of life, you know, as, you know, hanging out with his friends or uh, going to a church camp. You, you know, his good, they're good kids. They're like their mama. They're really, they're not raised nothing like I was, by no means. Great kids. But uh, Austin was just different. He always excelled at whatever he did, whatever he put his mind to. When he did things and we started racing and then I started telling, you know, I went kind of through the gym. I said, it's not much fun for me trying to, you know, do this because I don't feel I can give it 100%. Then I, I'm trying to go over the way because, you know, I never went out there just to make a time trial. I wanted to win if I was going to race. So it's kind of competitive. It, it, it's different. It's, it's hard to explain. I, I'm not saying it's a great thing by no means. It might even be selfish. But I was worried about, you know, winning. So I didn't feel like I could concentrate. And long story short, I talked to him into quitting juniors. He was 12. I said, if you'll quit, go on the internet, find something you want, I'll buy it, let me get rid of all this stuff and let's just race big cars. And you can play in it till you get where you feel like you can drive it or your mom gets happy. You know, because obviously we think a little different as we get older, we worried about what mama thought. So... He had bought him a little truck, and, uh, or found him a little truck. I went happened to be close, went and bought it. But, uh, we named it Purple Haze and made him help me. We wired it and fixed it and all that. But when we went to the race, he was 12 years old. He was turning 13 the next day, and we was uh, made a whole bunch of time trials, and his mama rode down through with him and then give me a lecture about it. It was too fast for my baby, and <laughs> on and on and on and on. It was running low sevens. When the race started, he said, uh-oh. You know, he was he's young. You could tell. He was all over the place. You know, he wasn't old, 20 or better every time and run his dial, knew what he was doing all that, but he's 12 years old, and he's listening and doing a pretty good job and, you know, not endangering nobody. It was a little old back road track. It's called Clarksville, Tennessee. And uh, he started racing, and, you know, he's, he was that guy that could get in line right. You know, if he was 80 on the tree, his man was red. Or if he was 70 on the tree, his man was six-something on the tree. And long story short, when it's all said and done, he wins the first time. You know, and I'm thinking, good Lord, what have I done done? You know, <laughs> but it's kind of funny. We laughed. We cut up. I, I took him in the motor home because we was going to spend the night and make a bunch more runs on Sunday. Well, since he won, I thought, well, let's just go home and enjoy Sunday at home. You know, I mean, there's no need no staying out here. And uh, we we drive, we was driving home and I'm driving an old motor home, you know, like everybody else, fighting the wind, got the kids up here and I can't even, you know, I had to sit on my hands keep them clapping. I was excited, but I'm trying not to act like it. That's what's supposed to happen. Da-da-da-da-da. We're driving out there and just out of the blues, and this is when I knew he was different. He tells me, he says, Dad, he says, You know, with a little more practice on the starting line, I'm going to kill them. He said, because that finish line was easy. (laughs) I said, what? I had to pull over. I'd never even heard nobody say that, right? (laughs) Thank you, I said, well, what do you mean? Because the the deal was when I taught them how to drive, they couldn't use the brake pedal because I don't want nobody to get hurt. But I dial them up a tenth from their time run, and they had to let out. They had to use the gas pedal. If you stand on it and you go wide open, you're going to break out, you're going to lose, and we're going to go home. You have to let off the gas. You have to judge that guy. Right from the, the
0: beginning. It,
1: start it, start it. Mm-hmm. So I dialed him up a tenth, and he won holding a tenth at 12 years old without cramming the brakes at the finish line. So when he was telling me the finish line was easy, that's when I told his mom, I said, well, we've got two things here. First, we can pinch his head off and save all the trouble that we got coming. I can tell you that that's the easy way to fix it (laughs) because a lot of people in life, including myself, I wouldn't have said the finish line was easy. The first time I raced, I can tell you that. Right. So it was kind of, it was kind of funny. And of course he's woke up to life today. The finish line ain't easy. It's probably the toughest part of the run by all means, but that was kind of funny. So I do have fond memory of him starting. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Let me circle back to one other thing uh, before we wrap this up. You had mentioned this real early in this conversation when we're talking about, you know, you, you saw an avenue for a a quote unquote easy way to to make a living. You wouldn't say that today, in your words. And when we had Dan Fletcher on, like the conversation was similar to this. In in again, more of a, a humble way than than I can reiterate. Dan basically said, I don't think that anybody could go out today and do what I've done? Because it's for a variety of reasons. In your own words, why is it so much different now?
1: The bottom, the easiest way to put this, especially for the educated people, today we spend four times the dollar we spent then and race for 60% of the purse. It's physically impossible for it to, it just don't compute. Back in when we kept up when we made so many runs per year, it cost me $88 every time my car went down the track. You know, if you count your runs, divide your expense, mm-hmm. all that bull, it was 88 bucks a run. Today, it's probably, if somebody really sat down, I would be a bit surprised if about $250 a run.
0: Yeah, when it's got yeah. to be more
1: than that. It's probably way more than that. So imagine if it's cost you at least $250 a run and you're in the gates on. Sunday and it pays a thousand to win, and you got to pay some entry fee and stuff. It don't make much sense. It's really not a good thing to be there. That's why we normally don't make time trials. We just gamble on the first round. It's cheaper to buy back than make a time run. So that that's just my thing, and that don't mean that's right. That's just the way we look at it in a business sense. Sure, man. If I if I happen to be wealthy enough, I could race and. You know, it's disposable income, as we call it. Man, I'd go out there and make me two or three time trials and live it up and have a big time run whenever I could get to the gate. But trying to make a living, it's rough, If you know, if everybody's going to be honest. It's rough to do it if you just dog your car, especially in time runs.
0: Along those lines, tell us a little bit about what your you know normal day looks like today in the business and what you guys are doing.
1: Oh, today we work <laughs> 10 or 12 hours a day, and we got a few machines in the back. The kids are building parts, and all three of them went to college to get a, a it's a, a CAD course where they could all learn how to program the machines. Yeah, you know, Even I, as old country boy, I can load a machine, turn it on, run the part. But as far as making the machine spit out and do what it's supposed to do, I can't do that.
0: Edmund, you have been incredibly gracious with your time and this has been a lot of fun i hope our listeners enjoy this as much as i do but before i let you off the hook we like to end all of these interview segments with a little bit of what we call rapid fire and what it is if you're up for it is just five quick questions not always racing related that just spur of the moment first thing that that comes to the top of your head you up for it yes sir all right, we'll start off on on racing point and then keep it simple. What's your favorite racetrack of all time? Atlanta. Due to your success there, or just enjoy the place in general, or both? The success. Yeah, I know you you have owned that facility for decades. It seems like was that the site of your first uh, double? Was that Atlanta? I believe it was.
1: Yeah, I, think I believe
0: right. it is. Either that or Phoenix. Right. Okay, along the same lines, because I know, especially back in the day, you've got so many stories, but what is the craziest maybe race facility or race format that you ever remember attending?
1: Uh, Boise, Idaho. First time I ever went to a race that they had, it was a bracket race, and it was a split tree, they called it. If you you rode on your car, you could have a three-tenths, four-tenths, or five-tenths pro tree, or a four tenths or five tenths full tree oh wow opponent could have something different it was the craziest and a block tree it was block split craziest thing i ever seen in my life most fun i ever had drag racing
0: what were you in were you in a dragster or
1: yeah me and scotty both were in the lone star cars
0: okay and what okay, uh what
1: tree for. did you opt for well i went back and forth my my theory <laughs> i was top bullpen but I dialed two different ways when I'd have a guy that was pro tree racing I would put it on the top and spot him about a half a second so I would deck it about the time his right before his tree would come <laughs> on and yeah it seemed like it was confusing them bad and then <laughs> I could see that oh uh, Kyle Sapple was there he uh-huh. did good too that that weekend that's how long ago it was it was kind of uh I was trying to remember the guy the same people on the track but the um, the racers, race kid, kid them. They they did good back then. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, they still do good today. But they was they were like the fixture at the racetrack, and to hang out with them people and seeing his kids doing good today and stuff like it's kind of fun because we we had big jokes about that. I said, man, I believe a man studied this for a few minutes and really messed people up. <laughs> right. What was the other strategy? That's R. If it would, they was a real slow car i just dial wide open right back then we run i think it was like 790s and a core eight flats something like that. it wasn't real fast it was fast and, at the uh, time i'm sure it was fast it was real fast at the time but they was um most of them you know if you do a 12 second car you, you know the blinded tree was probably the you know that was probably the worst
0: racing of all time how uh, how did you fare at that event
1: we actually won every day. <laughs> That's what I was waiting and for. And the, the, the big race was on Saturday. We ran in the final.
0: You and Scotty did?
1: Yeah, it was a 2-3-4-3. Three, three. You know what? We might not have won on Sunday. I know we won Friday, se- Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and we ran the final on Saturday. We, if I remember correctly, Kyle might have beat Scotty in the final or something. I don't remember what happened on the fourth day. I just remember thinking. Holy to leave. It was in between Brainerd and Indy. Yep. We drove. I take it back. It was in between Seattle and Brainerd. Seattle and Brainerd.
0: I think it still yeah. is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the well, bracket tears. So that was the most funnest race I ever attended.
0: What is Edmund Richardson's worst habit?
1: That's a good question. Not taking care of your uh, wife as well as you should
0: this could be racing-related, it doesn't necessarily have to be, is you're a marketing guy. You've got a a long history in sponsorship and promotion. Is there a product that you would refuse to promote?
1: Well, that's a loaded question for me. I'm old old school. (laughs) The people that's been with me forever, it's theirs or no one else's. You know what I mean? I actually preach what I use.
0: Yeah. No, there's a loyalty involved there, no question. Right, right. (laughs) What is your biggest pet peeve? Biggest one in racing
1: would be, uh, I don't like to unload my race cars filthy.
0: Got to come out clean. Got to come out clean. (laughs) I like it. Biggie. again, man, thank you for your time. Uh, I've enjoyed this immensely. I think our listeners will say the same. This has been a lot of fun. Appreciate you coming on. Be
1: sure to let me know when you do it. I'd like to listen to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We will uh, we'll keep you in the loop.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I my, my. Wish y'all luck in Vegas too. Hope you do good.
0: Awesome. Maybe Thank you. You bet.
1: can call and brag to me.
0: <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, Scotty way. don't sweep it. I sneak in there and get one maybe. <laughs> but yeah. I hope he does good. Now, I, I know. <laughs> I'm on this. Uh, it's back a hundred percent on
1: this weekend. I always love for him to do good no matter what the situation. This sure. weekend's even a little more special than normal.
0: Yeah, I bet. all right man i appreciate it enjoy your night okay y'all have fun thank you i want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available subscribe and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor, tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Yeah! BTE is one of a few full-service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in-house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear-hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high-performance driveline product. From inception, BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, field-tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped. By real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi is stocked with thousands of parts and centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere.